All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Today, I have a super awesome guest. Her name is Ashley. The Lord brought our paths together. Uh, actually, we were in Israel like three, four years ago. I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, I'd never met her before. She's from Oklahoma. And then God just brought our paths together in Israel randomly. And now we're friends and I love it. So um, it's super cool because this one's going to be a little different today. We are going to be talking about um, how to fight against sex trafficking and how to stand up for that cause. And so I just love Ashley's heart for this. And I can't wait for you guys to get to know Ashley Moore and just hear her heart behind um, this industry and how to fight against it. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. So much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're actually doing this over Zoom. And apparently, Ashley said beforehand, it's a little stormy. So, you know, if it's a little delayed or there's some sketchy moments, just know the internet. We love it. It's great. <laughs> we got to push through. <laughs> so um, Ashley, I would love for you to kind of tell a little bit about yourself, first of all, and then also what God has been teaching you lately. Yeah. Okay. Well, my name is Ashley. Um, nothing spectacular about me in the slightest, <laughs> but I um, am located in Southwest Oklahoma, and this is where the organization that I work with that fights trafficking is located. Um, like Kayla said, I'm a little bit of a world traveler. We got to meet in 2017 and 2018 in Israel on a trip there. But so something that God um, is working with me on, hmm, I was thinking about this and I, I think it has to be empathy. <laughs> he has been really, um, that's just, that's something that I am not gifted with naturally, which surprises a lot of people. Um, but that's something that I, I, I strive to work on on a daily basis. And um, as of late, he's, he's put different situations in my path that is that's really testing, you know, um, you know, my heart, the kindness of my heart, you know. And so that's, that's kind of been our dialogue back and forth. And mm -hmm. when I've been reading scriptures and whatnot, um, you know, realizing that that is something that that I need to work on, but thankfully he's given me a lot of practice as of late. So, um, so he's definitely, you know, having fun, uh, working on that. So, but that's, yeah, that's something recently right now that I've, uh, I've been working on. Wow. That's so good, girl. I relate there. Let's just say that I'm not going to get deeper, <laughs> but I'll say I totally relate. It's a good lesson to learn for sure. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. And um, I know we have a lot to touch on today. So I'm excited to just dive deep. And actually, like, as I was messaging you and reaching out, see if you'd be willing to be on the podcast, I was like, I thought I knew more about that whole industry of, you know, the sex trafficking industry and like how to fight against it and all that. So, and then I was messaging you, I was like, wow, I I thought I knew more and I, I don't. So I'm excited to be learning along with you all on this podcast episode. I think it's going to be really good. So um, first of all, could you first share uh, how your journey for stopping sex trafficking began? Yeah, so it's kind of twofold and I'll just touch on those briefly. Um, but growing up, I always loved history. So like most people, when you read history, you always think, oh, I would have been the hero, right? If I was alive during the transatlantic slave trade, I would have been an abolitionist. Or if I was alive during World War II, I would have totally fought the Nazis. And that's a natural thing, I think. You know, we, we want to see ourselves in the best light as possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I believed that for the longest time that I would have been an abolitionist back in the day. Until I went to a training when I was about 20, 21 years old. 
and the guy who was doing it, who ended up later on becoming a friend of mine in the organization that I'm with, um, he mentioned a stat. He said that there are more people enslaved today than the entire 300 years of the trans transatlantic slave trade combined. Mm. And so when he said that, I was like, whoa. So I went home and I just kept going through my brain over and over again, just a lot of information. But I was faced with a pretty hard question. You know, I, I say I would have been an abolitionist back in the day. But if you think about it, the, the risk was much higher you know, the, the potential for, um, you know, blacklisting, um, death, all sorts of things that could happen, legal um, issues versus today, other than making a few pimps mad, <laughs> there's, there's not, you know, a, a government sanctioned, um, you know, persecution for fighting trafficking or fighting slavery. That's basically what it is. Human trafficking is modern day slavery. So that was a little bit of a, you know, that, that jolt that got me looking into trafficking and, um, when I was debating if I wanted to go into this or not, because it is a very, it's a dark topic. It gets dark really quickly. Yeah. Um, I came up with this idea, you know, this thought in my head. I, I, so I talking to myself, I said, okay, Ashley, if people would not have fought for your ancestors, mm. made it their issue, even if they were not a part of it, you know, um, it didn't affect them personally, but they still made it their issue. People like William Wilberforce, um, who's one of my favorite abolitionists, and Benjamin Lay, who is my favorite abolitionist. Um, if it was not for people like that, there is no way that I would have been born, you know, in 1995, because um, my dad is African-American, my mom's Caucasian. And so when I think about that, I'm like, okay, well, by my action as a modern day abolitionist, who am I helping come into the future? You know, I love being alive. And so who are the people that I can potentially, um, you know, help and make sure that I can pull their, um, you know, ancestors, if you will, out of the modern day slave trade who is, are going to go on then and have a, a prosperous life. So mm -hmm. that's a little bit of, of why I'm working in it. Gratitude, I think you could say, is, is a driving factor because I'm very grateful for the people who I don't know who worked on my family's behalf years and years ago. Um, and that's, and that's something that, you know, I, I want to do because I think ultimately that has some deep value and deep meaning on the mm -hmm. spiritual level, you know, of, of working for people like that. Yeah. Wow. I'm so inspired by that. Literally just as you were talking, like, I felt like I was having goosebumps and I don't know if that's cliche, but, um, just that you've taken this perspective of, you know, these people, my ancestors and all these other people that maybe you weren't related to, but they fought, they stood up, they made a difference. And I'm here because of that. Um, and then how can I do the same thing? How can I stand up and make a difference? Like you didn't stay in yourself and like, okay, well, a little old me, I can't make a difference. You know, I'm just like over here in Oklahoma, right. You know, like you stood up and you're like, how yeah. can I, how can I change this world? And so, wow, I really commend you for doing that. And I'm inspired by that. So yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's so good. Well, um, I would love for you to tell us about the organization that you were a part of currently and also what your mission and vision, uh, with this organization is. Yeah, so the organization that I volunteer with, um, so right now I serve as the vice president, which just basically means I get told what to do and have to smile. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
there's there's no special privileges with that but um but the role that i i think I, I love the most with my organization is i'm a trainer which i'll explain that here in a little bit but the organization i'm with is called the red cord so we're southwest oklahoma's anti-human trafficking organization we have four pillars as an organization so the first one is to raise awareness in oklahoma on what human trafficking is because um, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of misconceptions out there of what it looks like and what it is. Um, the second pillar and probably our biggest one that we focus on is education. So we go out into um, every facet of society from law enforcement to first responders to um, youth, churches. I mean, I've, I've spoken to audiences as big as 500 and I've spoken to audiences as small as three. So basically, if people are willing to listen, um, I'm willing to talk and, and so is everyone else on the red cord as well. So we're a nonprofit. We're a faith-based um, organization. So um, our third pillar of our organization is prayer because we do recognize the spiritual component to this because at the end of the day, um, we're not fighting just flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. that's, that's just to have those eyes just to look at this issue. Um, you can't do it because you really do have to have a good spiritual grounding because this is something that if you do not have daily communication with God on, it will, it'll break your heart very, very quickly. Um, and the, the fourth pillar is support. So we support other nonprofits, law enforcement, anyone else that's joining us in the fight um, in combating human trafficking on any level. That could be prevention, which is what we are. That's primarily what we focus on, direct action, rescue, rehabilitation, um, we want to do our part to support everyone in this fight. So that's a bit about our organization. We were founded um, or incorporated, I should say, in 2015. No, excuse me, 2014. Um, and our founder, Cindy, most people think, okay, the red cord, what does that mean? Yeah. So our founder is Evans. Uh, she was a pastor's wife, and God bless her. We love her to death. And she has uh, moved on to bigger horizons now. Um, but she it was laid on her heart god laid it on her heart that she needed to join an anti-human trafficking organization because she had heard a, a, a story of a small um indian girl who was about six or seven years old um and her story was that when the the rescuers found her she was tied to a bed with a red cord mm -hmm. and that's where she was basically at for about a year or two and that red cord is what kept her bounded there so they um when she had a visualization of human trafficking, for some reason, that red cord stuck out to her. So when she was thinking about coming up with you know, different names for this nonprofit, red cord popped up and she was like, well, does that make sense? And then all of a sudden, the spiritual aspect of the red cord of Rahab came mm -hmm. into her mind. So it's the story of Rahab that we all should know. You know, Rahab was a prostitute, right? She was that person that's out there um, selling her body and society probably had a lot of, you know, stereotypes and stigmas that they, they thought about her, but it was the two people of God, men of God, who when they went to the city, they were able to see the value in her. Mm. They were able to see that she had something special. She had something worth investing in and they made that promise to her. And what was that physical sign of that promise? You know, her wanting to grab hold of God was to put that red cord out of her window. So um, with that aspect of it, we want to encourage anyone who is in trafficking, who is, you know, post-trafficking or, or presently in it. Um, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what you've done, that there is hope. And we point to the story of Rahab as, as absolute proof of that. So that is the red cord. 
Um, that is who we are. Isaiah 61.1 is kind of our um, running verse, I guess you could say. And uh, that last part of that verse talks about, you know, based, uh, setting free those in, in slavery and bondage and bringing light to those who are in the dark. Mm-hmm. And we want to focus on that, you know, um, when we go out there and we talk to our, our different um, areas of society, that this is a dark topic, but because we have the light of God, um, we know that we can come in and we can spread that. And that does bring healing and that does bring freedom. Yeah. So our, our vision is to create a culture intolerant to human trafficking. Um, and so we do that, like I said, through education, that's our biggest avenue and um, we've been going strong now um, since 2014. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I was like, as you're talking, I'm like, okay, can you guys, like, come out this way to Colorado? <laughs> it sounds so amazing. <laughs> and, but then I have to remind myself, I'm like, okay, Kayla, like, I'm sure there are organizations here in Colorado. But, like, anywhere, I'm sure there are people uh, you can get involved with. But, wow, that, oh, I just, oh, I love the mission. That's so good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, okay. So it is located in Oklahoma, obviously, but like, how can you get involved, whether you live in Oklahoma or whether you live in Colorado, like me, how can you get involved with this group? So with our group, we do focus Southwest Oklahoma. I know we've, we've had people ask that we consider chapters or satellite groups. Um, and that's going to come in the future. Um, but just getting the, the legal logistics of that, it's a little interesting, that's for sure. But, um, but as far as getting involved, one of the things that we try and encourage people to do is, and we, we help do that by, um, accessing resources that we have is looking into organizations that are within your area, Mm -hmm. just because we understand the, um, the, the need for local people to get involved with local organizations, just like with us. So we've had people refer, um, perspective volunteers um, in in the Oklahoma area, they might reach out to a large organization and thankfully that large organization will connect them with us, which is, which is great because a big fighting and trafficking community um, and it does involve that real time action. Um, So anyone can get involved. There are some great resources that just generically you can go to. So um, Polaris Project is a great place to go to if you're just getting started on trafficking and you're like, what is human trafficking, which we're going to go into here in a little bit. Um, Polaris Project is great. Um, Operation Underground Railroad, I always plug them. Um, They're an amazing organization. Timothy Ballard is the founder of that. Um, He used to be with Homeland Security, yes, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Homeland Security, worked on the legal side, got out of Homeland Security and founded Operation Underground Railroad, which basically does the kicking in of the doors and the rescuing of the victims around the globe. Um, that's another amazing place to go if you're more of a visually um, oriented person and you want to learn about trafficking. Shared Hope International, they're faith-based just like the Red Cord. In fact, I just did an interview um, with uh, one of their... Um, I believe he's their communications director um, back in January, but that's another great resource. I can, I can definitely hook you up with some Colorado organizations because yeah. um, our president right now, she actually lived, grew up in Colorado and that's where she got her start fighting trafficking. So we've got some good connections in Colorado for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's so good to know actually. So I will remind myself to message you about that so I can like put it out for my Colorado friends. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. 
Um, okay, so you already touched basically on that we're going to be talking about this. So I'm excited. I'm not excited, but like it's, it's informational. That's how I should say it. Um, and so, yeah, I would love for you to give some basics of what sex trafficking is. And, you know, I know it is a heavy topic, but um, I really believe in knowledge because if we all know what this is, how we can stop it, how to stand against it, I believe we can be a part of this change. And so, um, yeah, would you mind just giving us some of those basics of what it is exactly? Yeah, well, two things first, two quotes that I can think of. When I first started coming into trafficking, that was one of my biggest um, reservations was like, do I want to know about this? I know this is a heavy topic. And, um, you know, I wasn't fully aware really of just the scope of this crime like most people. Um, but I, I think of two quotes that come to mind now that I've, I've come to love. And one of them is by Frederick Douglass, who um, was a former slave, which most of us learned about him in you know, U.S. history. Amazing, amazing individual. But he made a quote that said, um, knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. And that is what we're seeking to do with the Red Cord. We want to give you that knowledge, that education that you have. It's going to make you a much harder um, target for a trafficker to recruit. That's important because traffickers rely on two things. And this actually came from a convicted uh, trafficker or a pimp. Um, when asked why he continued to do this crime and how he continued to get away with it for so long, he said, well, I rely on two things, just like most traffickers do. He said, I rely on the silence of the victims and the ignorance of the community. So those are the two things that we're trying to attack when we start talking about education within trafficking. It's not to shock people, it's not to scar people, and we are mindful of what we talk about, but it is to give you that knowledge that you can use and you can share that's going to make you that much harder of a victim. The second quote I can think of um, is that the eye cannot see what the mind does not know. Unfortunately, trafficking victims are walking out among us every single day. We see them, we just don't see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we don't know what we're looking for. So human trafficking, um, so I'm gonna start the legal definition, the federal, the federal definition of it, which is the Trafficking Victims Protection Act defines it. Um, so sex trafficking is gonna be defined as in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion which I'll, I'll break this down because a lot of legal jargon makes no sense to, to <laughs> right. most people. Um, but a commercial sex act is used by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which the person who is um, doing that, that sexual act has not attained 18 years of age. So what does that mean? So basically, if you are 18 or older and you are forced to do a sex act by force, fraud, or coercion, coercion is just a fancy word for trickery, um, then by, by the law, you are seen as a trafficking victim. If you are 17 and under, it doesn't matter if forced fraud or coercion is there. If you are doing a commercial sex act, that is automatically seen as child sex trafficking or child sexual exploitation. We call it CSEC for short. Um, and labor trafficking is basically the same thing. What that looks like is um, someone comes into the country or someone is down on their luck and they start working for someone and they find out that they have a debt that's never gonna get repaid or this person is not um, paying them what they said, they're withholding their identification. Um, it really can just you know, branch off into a lot of things, but that force, that fraud and the coercion or trickery 
it's also a part of labor trafficking as well. So human trafficking is the big umbrella. Under that is sex trafficking and labor trafficking. So that's just a broad, like you say, you know, a thousand foot view. Yeah. Within that, within um, sex trafficking, we have all different kinds. There's child sexual exploitation. Um, there's adult. There's um, what we what we call escorting services, um, which are going to be what you see like in these larger cities like Las Vegas or Los Angeles, you know. Um, but unfortunately, most people, when they see victims of trafficking, they automatically assume that that person is a prostitute. Mm. So that's another definition that we want to be clear on. Prostitution and um, sex trafficking legally have two different definitions, but the victims of both look identical. In fact, according to some stats that are out there, only 5% of women who are in prostitution are by legal definitions prostitutes. Um, they meet the requirements, they meet the criteria of sex trafficking victim because they're only in the industry by force, fraud, or coercion. They don't want to be there. But unfortunately, that's the situation they find themselves in. And so no one's coming to rescue them because they think, oh, that's just, that's her choice. You know, that's what she wants to do, or that's, you know, bad luck on her. That's how that happened to her. Um, but that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Another thing with trafficking is a lot of people automatically say, okay, well, human trafficking, that means there has to be movement, right? Because of the word trafficking, you think it has to be, you know, kidnapping or something of that nature. But most trafficking in the United States does not involve movement at all, for the most part. Um, you're not going to get kidnapped and taken across a state or an international border. Um, that does happen, but it accounts for like less than 3% of all trafficking. Kidnapping is a, is a completely separate crime. Um, does kidnapping happen? Yes. But as far as it's related to human trafficking, it's very, very low. The most common type of trafficking that we see in the United States is what we call familial trafficking. Mm -hmm. So that is mom trafficking child, grandparent, grandchild, brother, sibling, um, or partner, partner. And that's what we see the most of. So it's someone you know, more than likely. It's someone you've built a relationship with, someone that you think um, is, is you love them or something of that nature. You feel like you owe them something. That is what that looks like. And um, age-wise, it can, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of ages involved in this, but the, the average age of a trafficking victim in the United States is between the ages of 12 and 14. So that's the average. So averaging, I'm not good at math, but I know how averaging works. That means we have a whole bunch that are older, but we also have a bunch that are younger than that as well. So um, these are the individuals that we go to school with. These are the individuals that we you know, see in Walmarts or go to the pool with or play sports with. I mean, they are among us because trafficker is their husband or their mom. And they're not going to look like what we've been taught to look for, you know, which is going to be that, you know, the creepy guy in the van, right? Yeah. Who's offering free ice cream and puppies. Now don't go up to that guy. No. <laughs> but, um, but as far as he's related to trafficking, you have a very, very slim chance that that's actually what he's up to. He's up to some other nefarious, uh, nefarious deeds, but that is a, that's a good definition of, of a human trafficking uh, in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. See, this is what I was talking about. Like I had no idea some of these statistics, um, just because like you hear like 
you know, sex trafficking, yada, yada, yada. But like, I don't know, you just, you never hear the breakdown of what exactly it is and what are the ages and, you know, like all of that. And so, um, yeah, I'm learning so much with this and that's just like, it, it blows my mind. It really does. And it's so sad too, to think like these people are all around us and we have no idea. Like literally they could be our neighbor and you have no idea. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it saddens my heart, you know, that we're in that state, we're in that world. And, um, you think most uh, back to, you know, um, slavery and, you know, all of that when that was going on, but this is our modern day slavery that is going on. And so, um, yeah, it's just really, really sad. So, but I, I really appreciate you sharing this information because like you said, like I said, we need to know these, these facts and the knowledge of this because that's how we're going to stop it. And so I really appreciate you, um, sharing these, these things. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear like kind of what are some of the misconceptions of, you know, people, yeah, the misconceptions of the subject and those uh, yeah. type things that people come up with in their mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I touched on one about the idea of kidnapping. And that's kind of the biggest one that's out there. Everyone thinks it's going to be kidnapping. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, very small percentage that we see uh, is involved in kidnapping. Another thing too is they automatically think that the victim is like locked in a basement um, or they're chained somewhere where they can't get out. And if they could just climb up those stairs and get to the door, they would run free and they would go for help. That is not the case. That is highly not the case. Um, like I said, they are out among us. You know, they, they are in the public eye most of the time. Human trafficking is a very psychological game. And when we look, when we look back at historic slavery, because I, I like to use that as a, as a reference, maybe because I love history, but also because it's a good, you know, it's a good example. Look back at historic slavery, you could tell a slave in the United States, um, you know, this doesn't go for the world because there's all different types of slavery that, you know, have gone on throughout history, but specifically in the United States, um, you could tell there was outward characteristics like, okay, well, if the person is of African-American descent, there's more than likely not going to be a free person, right? There were free people, but for the most part, they probably weren't going to be. Um, if you wanted to go, um, you know, out into the field, some people had physical chains on them. So those are those outward ideas. And that's kind of what we have in our mind is we think, oh, it's got to be a specific race and they have to have physical chains on to be a slave. Mm -hmm. Today, that is not the case. Human trafficking is, is, does not respect someone's race, their age, um, disabilities. They don't, it, it doesn't care, basically. If you're an individual, and especially if you're a young person, you are a target just by virtue of that. Human trafficking also does not consist, for the most part, um, overwhelming part of it, it, does not consist of physical chains. It's all mental. Massive, massive psychological trauma and um, games are played by the traffickers. Unfortunately, traffickers are very smart people. That's a sad fact. If they would just use their smarts for something else, something good, we would be in a much better place. But unfortunately, they don't. Um, so there's a lot of what we call um, trauma bonding that was formerly referred to as Stockholm syndrome. So the victim is warped into believing that they either love this person or that this person is going to inflict serious damage or violence on them, someone they care about, someone they love. Um, so they are basically, you know, beaten into subservience. So that is what that looks like. So that's, that's 
misconception number two. They're not going to be in chains um, for the most part. There are cases, but it's very, very rare. Um, but two, when they, when they are rescued or when we do come across the victims, most of the times, I would say about 98% of the time, they are not going to come to me and say, oh my gosh, thank you for rescuing me. I'm a human trafficking victim because they come from society too, which means in their mind, trafficking is kidnapping. Trafficking is, it's going to be the creepy guy taking you down to Mexico. That's what they think, just like most people think. They just identify themselves as a prostitute. That's what they think they are. That's what the trafficker has told them that they are. Um, traffickers know what they're doing, but they're not going to let their victim know that. So um, the rescue part of it is the physical rescue for the most part is the easiest aspect of that. It is the therapy and the spiritual counseling that has to go on for the rest of that person's life. That's the hardest. So um, that's why prevention, that's why our, our organization focuses so much on prevention, because if we can keep someone from having to go through that, that's, I mean, that's a win for us, you know? one less person that's going to have to go through that lifelong trauma. Yeah. I'm trying to think here. Another misconception. Um, let's see. I guess, again, this has to do with the imagery of it, the idea of, of like, um, hmm, I think I touched on three, so I'm maybe trying to think of a fourth one. <laughs> Those are the basic ones. Those yeah. are the basic ones that I can, yeah. Yeah, no, those were really good, and wow. I <laughs> I don't know if this sounds dumb, but, like, I thought this was fact. Like, some of the things that you mentioned that were misconceptions, I thought some of them were true, and it's like, ah, oh, like, this is why I'm having this conversation. Not just for me. It's for others, too. So, um, yeah, it, it's crazy. But, okay, so what, then, is, like, the root of this problem? Yes. So if you want just the clinical root of it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's economic gain. Because if you look at slavery, you know, throughout history, again, I mean, what's the reason for doing it? Well, it's, it's to use someone else's labor for your financial gain. That's the non-spiritual aspect of it. But if you want to get down to, to the spiritual roots of it, human trafficking is, is ultimately fueled by the demand. It's, it's basic economics 101, right? Business 101. Supply meets demand. The only reason that we have people out there selling children, women, men, all different ages is because that there's a whole lot of people out there who are willing to buy people. So it's the demand. And that's the hardest part to fight to, you know, to bring that up a little bit. Yeah. But what's the root? What's the root of the trafficker and what's the root of the demand? And if you want to boil it down, it's greed and lust. So if we're going to take those down for um, a micro-analytical perspective, what's the root of greed and lust? And that is self-idolatry. Mm. That's the love of self. You're willing to hurt other people because you see yourself as being the most important individual in your life um, or in the world in some cases. Um, so it, it kind of stinks because People ask, well, how do we know, you know, if someone's going to be susceptible to being a buyer or how do we know if someone's going to be susceptible to, to being a trafficker? I just asked the question, well, you know, are, are they susceptible to greed and lust? Because that is where it leads. Um, and we all suffer from that. We all suffer from self-idolatry, you know, that, that pride that comes with 
thinking you're so great or thinking that you're worth more than someone else. And over time with these individuals, that's how it starts. It just starts with something small that we all experience, but it just swells into something that becomes a very heinous act that happens. And, um, you know, throughout the Bible, it talks about, you know, pride, you know, God really hits on pride a lot. And, you know, a lot of us are just kind of like, I think murder is worse than pride. But if you think about it, when you look down at the root, you know, that self-idolatry, that leads to a lot of really bad outcomes. And so, you know, God's not saying that murder is not bad. He's just saying that once you get down to the point where you're willing to look at yourself, you know, look in the mirror and say that I'm the most important person in the world, you will then give yourself um, license to go out and do all sorts of other issues, which could murder, which could be sex, which could be lying, which could be, you know, um, uh, being unkind with your speech. It just, it just breeds a whole host of issues that we see and ultimately knowing that it's a spiritual battle which that means that we have to fight it on the spiritual level you know the physical and the spiritual level as well um which uh, is, is pretty tough it's it's very very tough sometimes to do that yeah. um especially when we live in a world that sometimes doesn't want to acknowledge um the truths of god but but i mean i've seen it happen you know um when the, the true principles that are listed out in the Bible are enacted in real life, I mean, miracles do happen. People are rescued, lives are changed, hearts are changed, mm. um, traffickers and buyers um, turn their life over to Christ and, and um, they walk away from that life, you know, a changed person. So I do know it works. I, I've seen it for sure. Amen. Yeah. Wow. I, <laughs> this is so just fascinating and just so powerful to, hear all this and um i mean i was part of this uh what was it called i don't know it, it was with the um i'm blanking out on their name too i'm blanking out of all the terms right now but um it was a walk against sex trafficking there you go just a simple term yeah, yeah. um we, we <laughs> walked for this um for this cause in i think it was november or october around there and um then the lady um that was really really heading up fighting against sex trafficking here in Denver, she came up and she spoke and she was telling us how this one girl up there in the mountains, um, they've been looking for her for like three months. And um, so we just like gathered around this flagpole and we just started praying for her. And I recently found out that they just found her um, and she was living with, I think like a boyfriend or something like that. And this was happening to her. And so um, it definitely is so true. Like God does still perform these miracles but, you know, we, we have to be able to step up and take action, but also realize, like, I love that you touch on the whole pride in your heart deal, um, too, and just fighting against those things in yourself can prevent not just sex trafficking, other things, too, of course, but, um, yeah, so, wow, so good. I'm just, wow, my mind is blown away. I keep saying that, but <laughs> literally... <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much. Um, yeah. So, okay. You talked about some spiritual things. And so I would love for you to like kind of develop more on what are some of the spiritual components and what can believers do to join in this fight? Yeah. So one of the things that really convicted me when I first started trafficking was um, I'm a, I'm a very, well, how do I say it? very analytical individual. That's kind of why the empathy thing I have to work on. Right. <laughs> um, but I want to know as much 
about any issue that I'm, I'm researching or looking into. I want to know as much about it as possible. And that means from every single angle. So when I started really researching who is doctor, um, which is a very, that's a very dark road to have to go on. Um, but wanting to know what is in their mind and what are they, what are they doing? And I think it was the second or third book that I was reading that was actually written by a trafficker, a pimp, a former pimp. And he was laying out his plan of how he recruits victims. And I got about halfway and I stopped and I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is basically laying out what we are commissioned to do as believers. Like he literally is going out and he is seeking out those in need. He is seeking out the widow and the orphan and he's providing them with the, the false um, perception that he's going to give them food, shelter, care, purpose, you know, community that they're looking for. And that really convicted me because I thought, you know what, unfortunately, the reason that traffickers are having a heyday with our vulnerable populations, it's because the, you know, the church, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to taking care of those in our community that are in need. Um, unfortunately, you know, when, when we start dealing with people who maybe do have mental illness or who are impoverished or who've come from a really bad background or who are in the foster care system, um, it's not pretty fun to have to deal to kind of let government take care of it right we, you know we'll let the government take care of it and we'll we'll give a few people our money you know to, to do that but that's their job not ours and traffickers have no barriers like that traffickers see the monetary value of that individual so therefore they are willing to put in the time and the money and the resources to basically step in as a savior figure for that person so one of my biggest things that I try and encourage churches to do is definitely, and, and believers, definitely take a, a good, good long look and see what are you doing to prevent this, to circumvent this, and what are you doing to meet the trafficker to these victims? So it's very easy sometimes to think, well, I, I'm going to do missions. That means I have to go overseas. And nothing's wrong with that. That is great to do, definitely, because trafficking takes place overseas. All sorts of, of issues take, take place overseas as, as well. It's hard when it has to be our neighbor that we have to go over to. Or, you know, when we have to go to the, the youth shelter, talk to the, the girls or boys there who are, who are not very happy at all. So they're, you know, they might say some bad words at you if you walk in not saying this ever happened to me but that has happened to me <laughs> sure um you know and um but but having those eyes to see that they are just really hurting individuals who are in desperate need of a savior mm. and and having the the spiritual compassion glass look at them and see the value not the monetary value but the spiritual eternal value. And that is, that's basically, you know, putting on the mind of Christ because that is how he sees each one of us. Yeah. You know, there is, there is a predator that is out there for us. We know that, right. For everyone, you know, and, and his, his name is Satan and God, thankfully he, in his love and compassion has Jesus down to earth um, for that to be our, our saving factor. And he is desperately seeking us and trying to, to prevent us from falling into the hands of our trafficker, our predator. And mm -hmm. that's the exact same thing that we need done. 
So an interesting connection that um, one of our trainers made once is she said, did you know that God actually has a plan for rescuing trafficking victims? It's written out in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess so. You know, I'm thinking like, well, you could pull a verse from here and here and there and there. And she was, <laughs> no, literally, she said, what is the story when Moses is called by God? What is the story of what he, what he does to rescue the Israelites? It's literally out of slavery. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. true. And even going through the process that they go through is the identical process that we see when trafficking victims are rescued from um, a trafficking situation. So what's the first thing he did? He waltzed into their environment and said, I'm here to rescue you. And what do they say? They're like, rescue me from what? Hmm. It's that same thing that we see with trafficking victims today. They don't see themselves as victims. This is just the this crazy as their normal. So then he goes and he starts fighting on their behalf and they just like, well, my force. <laughs> um, and that's something we've heard from our, our trafficking survivors as well. They're like, once people started meddling, um, law enforcement started getting closer to my trafficker, my trafficker started to be more mean to us. You know, he started to put harsher quotas on us, something of that nature. Finally, when Moses is able to get the people out of that situation, not everyone came because they didn't see, they didn't see this as a valuable, um, you know, chance to leave because there is, it's going to sound crazy, but there is a sense of freedom and slavery because you're free from choices. You're free from having to you know, provide for yourself. And that's not saying that people like it. That's just saying that's part of the scariness of leaving it to come into freedom. It's all of a sudden now there's responsibility that's there. And I actually got that from a former trafficking survivor who, who said that to me. I thought that was powerful. But it's yeah. the same thing we see with the Israelites. And what's the first thing that happens when they got to the first barrier, that first hard thing that came up to the edge of the sea? They're like, I'm going back. I am not doing this. This is crazy. I don't know who this God is, but I just, I just need to go back and maybe, maybe our slaveholders won't be mean to us. There's a unfortunate statistic of about, well, it's over 50% of trafficking victims when they are rescued, they will go back into the trafficking world. Once they hit that first barrier, once they hit that first withdrawal, once they hit, you know, that first hard decision, something stressful in life, they'll start thinking of all the lies the trafficker told them. You'll never do well on your your own. You have to have me in order to succeed. Nobody wants you. You have no value. And those lies will play over and over again. So that first issue that they hit, they want to go right back, right back to Egypt, basically. That's what they want to do. But Moses was the one who stood there with him and, you know, he had, he had an intercessor you know, to call upon God and say, I need some serious help here. And God intervened and they saw that, they saw what God could do, mm. got them across that. But that didn't, you know, even though that miracle happened, that doesn't mean that they weren't going to go through other challenges of, of breaking out of that slave mindset. And that's the same thing we see again with trafficking survivors. It's a lifelong process Mm -hmm. to get to that point where they can trust um, people again, where they can love, you know, fully and openly, where they can be vulnerable, um, just like what we saw with the Israelites. So thinking about it that way, next time you read the story, next time you read a story about the liberation of the Israelites by Moses, keep that in mind, because that's exactly what goes on. Moses really is my, he's my, my favorite person (laughs) um even down to you know when he when god first came to him he's like 
thank you, but no thank you. you know, <laughs> right. I, I totally identify with that. It's, it's that once God puts that massive leadership role there, you're just like, this is big and I stutter, so I'm not going to do this. And, but he did. And, you know, because of that, he is like, you know, one of the number one people in the Bible. And he was able to have deep communion with God, you know, physical um, dialogue with him. And it's because he, he said yes to the call to go and free the slaves. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a very important, um, important lesson that we can take away from the pages of scripture as it yeah. pertains to human trafficking. Yeah. So, you know, I love how you, you touched on that of knowing our identity in what the Lord says about us. Um, because that really is like, once you are solidified in that and walking in what he says of you, like, you know who you are, you know who you belong to, and the enemy could try to attack you. I mean, he is our enemy, but you're grounded in the Lord. You know what he says about you. And as you were saying all that, it kind of hit me that like, this is the reason why I'm doing this podcast is I desire for people to know who they are. I desire for them to know okay, this is your identity and this is not, you know, according to scripture and this is your purpose. This is not, you know, like being grounded in God's word and what he says about us. And so, um, yeah, just with you saying that, I was like, oh man, like, thank you, God, that this is like why you're using this podcast. But, um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just hearing that, that, that was so good. So I guess my last question, and we didn't talk about this one beforehand, but like, what are those steps that we as believers can take to either fight against trafficking, which, you know, you've kind of already touched on this, but um, also for us to be grounded in who God says we are. And then also how can we keep our eyes open for those who are in trafficking and we don't even realize it? I don't know if all of that makes sense or if that's a loaded question, but I don't know, just something that came to mind. So, yeah. So I have a terrible memory. So you're gonna have to remind me of yes. the last two because I'm gonna answer the first one first. <laughs> yep. So um, definitely, first step in finding this is to be obviously aware of the issue. Which this podcast could serve as that that awareness level, which is great. But you can't stop at awareness. You've got to go on and become educated, and then take that education and put it into action. A lot of people think that in order to fight trafficking, you have to be able to knock down doors, you know, basically put on the jumpsuit and go and join law enforcement and do that. While that is important, um, there's a place everywhere in the anti-trafficking world um, for, for people um, from every walk of life. So writing, for instance, good writer, um, after you've done your, your research on this, maybe start using that if you, if you publish things. Maybe consider writing one or two articles about trafficking. Just mm -hmm. pick an aspect of it. Do some research on it and put that out there. Um, social media platforms, I mean, that, they are great places to uh, disseminate a lot of information very quickly to a large audience. So there are some really good um, organizations that, that utilize, um, you know, social media is a, is a good platform for that. Um, but also too, if you've got other skills, like if you're good with kids um, and you work at a daycare or you're a teacher, invest in those kiddos, write value on them, let them know that they, you cannot put a price tag on them. 
let them know that they're special because that is something that people don't always connect. They don't always connect the dots of what are you doing to keep that person from being vulnerable eventually. And that could be all sorts of things that could be actually taking the time to sit down and talk with someone um, just about life, just about stress, just things that they're going through. Um, that way they don't turn to some random person online they start talking to. And that person makes them feel valued, makes them yeah. feel cherished, makes them feel that they're listened to, that they're heard. Um, because again, that's just opening the door to whoever that person might be. Maybe that person is a nice person, but you also have a chance that they've got ulterior motives to mm. um, befriending that person in their time of need. Um, if, I mean, if there are people with legal skills, definitely going out there into the legal world and offering um, you know, legal aid to those who have been uh, freshly rescued from trafficking, that's something that's massively needed. Because um, a lot of times these, these young women and, and men, you know, if they're adults in ways or early teens or early late teens, I guess you could say, a lot of them have a record. Well, how do they get this record? It's because of what was going on around their life. So they were forced to steal. Um, they started to use drugs or their trafficker was the drug dealer and forced drugs on them. So now they're addicted to drugs and that's how they numb themselves every single day. So once they're rescued, a lot of them look back on their record and they're like, this is all due to trafficking. I don't want them on, want this on there. So there are ways to actually get a lot of that um, expunged, expunged, I think is the legal term for that. Um, mental health professionals, people who are willing to talk with these victims once they become survivors, after they're rescued, trauma-informed care is a huge thing that you can do. Mm. But again, on that, on that micro level, just someone who's like, okay, well, I don't have a college degree. I'm not specialized in anything. Just treat every individual like they have value, like they matter. Let them know that, um, that you care, that you see them as someone who has, you know, um, the right to, to experience dignity, yeah. you know, that they are created by God and they have rights. That is, that goes huge because you don't know, maybe you're the only person in their life to that point that has ever done that to them. Um, but those are some practical things that, that people can do. So what are the, what was the second question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you answered my third question in that first question. So okay. good job. That was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, the second question was just like how to, um, what did I say exactly? How to find like your identity in the Lord so that you don't start walking down this path. Yes. So the biggest thing is if you're going through something hard in life, do not turn to people. And now when I say that, I don't mean don't talk to people. I mean, don't turn to people as the answer to that issue. Mm. If you're going through depression, if you're having home life issues, if your parents have gone through a divorce, if you've just gone through a death, don't turn to people as the South that's going to fix that. You do need to turn to God because ultimately he's going to be that individual. Well, not individual, but he's going to be that source. That's not going to let you down because people will let you down. Unfortunately, that's just how we are. We're, we're flawed. Um, so to keep your, keep your heart from getting hurt for sure, turn to him because he's the one that's going to be there. No matter what your situation is, no matter what season of life you're in, he's going to be a constant He's not wishy-washy. Um, he's not going to be like those friends you don't talk to for months or whatever. He is there and he's, he cares about you more than anyone on earth can. 
So there, there's a, there's a big um, temptation to go to social media platforms and just start talking with, with people because we're lonely. That's an unfortunate um, fact that we're seeing in, in the United States, you know, stats have come out about loneliness and depression and anxiety, things that people are suffering from. Even though we're the most connected that we've ever been in history, we all feel alone, very, very alone. So don't ever go to social media, chat rooms, any place online that you're gonna start building relationships even though they might just be friendships that you're going to go to as that's your saving grace because traffickers, they hang out on that and they're going to start to do what we call changing the moral compass. They're going to feel you out a bit. They're going to feel what your background is, what your vulnerabilities are. And they're slowly going to speak words of affirmation, but they're also words of um, conformity in a sense. Um, they're trying to get you to conform to a new identity, a new person. And if you're not grounded with, you know, who you are in the eyes of God, well, you're going to basically be standing firmly with your feet in the ground is what I, what I like to say. Um, and very easily, you know, to manipulate and into, into, um, you know, turn into someone that you're not, or to start thinking thoughts that are not your own thoughts. Um, to start believing things that you, you did not grow up believing, Hmm. um, and culture plays a big part in this as well. Culture um, traffickers talk about how that's one of the biggest grooming mechanisms that they use today is the culture is grooming you to think about yourself, to think about relationships, to think about, um, uh, you know, intimate interactions with one another, to think about it in a very depraved and not holy way. And because of that, and because people are not aware of that, there's a better plan out there that God has a better design for relationships, specifically intimacy. Um, they're confused and a trafficker comes and just preys on that confusion as well. So I know it's really easy for ladies when we get single, we're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, what's going on here? You know, we let our minds wonder or we start turning to different outlets to explore or to release things. And that could be talking to strangers online. Um, unfortunately, what we're seeing more and more, even with females is people getting addicted to pornography mm-hmm. because you know, how we're created, we are created for intimacy eventually, but the world is doing a very great job of distorting that. And, um, pornography is a, is a very large tool that traffickers use as well. Um, they produce it, they make it of their victims, but they also use that to change your moral compass into thinking of how relationships look. So definitely having a firm foundation in who you are in Christ. And that doesn't mean that you have all the answers and you know what that life story is going to look like at the end. Um, I don't even have that for myself, but but it's basically, you know, knowing that you are kept safely in that, in his, in his arms, basically, um, not putting yourself in a situation where, um, you're a prime target, you're a prime, you know, um, a, a vulnerable individual. Yeah. You know, my third question was the whole fact of like, how do you recognize that someone maybe is in the trafficking realm and how do you like bring attention to that, you know, like if you're Walmart or whatever, you know, or school, I don't know. Um, and I feel like you kind of touched on that of like treating everyone with value and like, um, you know, just loving on those people. So if you have any other thoughts on that last one, feel free to answer it. But (laughs) yeah, 
Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we're doing good on time. I can't really see my clock yes. on my screen, no, but you're good. <laughs> good. Okay. So, um, there actually is, there, there are templates, um, that people can access and, um, I can give those to you afterwards if you want to like link them or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there are typical signs of a trafficking victim because if you think about it, 80% of our communication um, is not verbal. Everyone thinks, oh, well, if I want to know something about someone, I just need to listen to them talk. Well, no, you just have to watch them act, you know, mm -hmm. see, see what they do in the real world and just, just see how they carry themselves and, and things of that nature. Um, so some really big signs are if, if they're a young person or even an adult, if they are accompanied by um, an older boyfriend or a girlfriend, someone who's a very controlling individual who is speaking on their behalf, who seems to be the dominant one in the situation, um, but also seems to be the needy one in this situation. So that means they want to control everything, but they don't ever, they don't ever want to be the one that has to do the work. So whether that be you, they, that individual has to work for that person. They always talk about how they're having to work for this person um, because they just can't seem to get a job or, you know, their back hurts or something of that nature. Because again, they're going to be a trafficker, is someone who takes advantage of people. Um, and, and that's what they, that's what they do best. Um, some other obvious signs could be physical signs of abuse, um, you know, physical or sexual abuse, um, signs of, uh, what we call, it, um, hyper and hypo arousal. So this is going to be when someone is, is extremely hyper, they get angry. You, you can tell that there's something bugging them, some kind of something that's, that's underneath there. Um, or hypo, which means they've just lost care in the world. They don't care. Um, they're, they're sleeping all the time. They're depressed. Um, you know, life has lost meaning. And now as I'm giving you these, one of these does not necessarily equal trafficking, obviously, but we want people, we call them red flags. And once you start having red flags popping up in your brain, multiple red flags, that's when you can start making that informed decision and actually pay a little bit closer attention. Again, the mind does not know what the eye, or the, the eye cannot see what the mind does not know. Mm. So, um, so basically, um, when someone seems to be in a controlling relationship, in a work situation, this could be someone is dropped off every single day by the same person. If you just casually ask who they are, they don't want to tell you, or the story changes, or they get really uncomfortable. Um, and this person, you know, keeps them, uh, potentially keeps their identification from them. The, the, the goal of the trafficker is to make that person feel as isolated as possible, as helpless as possible. So they're going to keep all their money. They're going to keep all their identifications. They're going to be the ones controlling what they do, um, who they see, their schedule, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, but it, as far as responding to, like I said, I'll, I'll give you that where people can actually see a, a good written out example because there's a whole bunch of different red flags. But as far as responding to trafficking, I want to touch on that because the strongest urge that everyone feels just because how we're wired, you know, we're, we're wired for justice, right? Yeah. Is to, to basically run in and rescue that person. You see it, you know, it's happening. You run up to that victim and say, honey, are you being trafficked? Mm -hmm. You know, um, in front of the trafficker or not in front of the trafficker, we might chase her down to the bathroom or something. Yeah. While the urge is really strong to do that, that is number one rule of what we don't do when we come across a trafficking situation. And why is that? Well, it's twofold. One, 
you're putting yourself in some serious danger because traffickers are very, very violent individuals. A lot of them um, also deal in the illegal um, drug trade and the illegal arms dealing as well. They're very violent. Um, so for your own safety, don't do that. But also, most importantly, for the victim's safety, because if that trafficker, they're always watching. They are always watching. They always have eyes, whether it be the trafficker's eyes or another person in the organization who is watching their victims all the time. Mm. If they feel like that victim is giving off victim vibes, that person, that individual is in serious danger of mm. being um, abused because they are not coming across as confident as they should, um, potentially even being killed. Um, that's, that's not an unheard of result for, for people in the trafficking world. So the most important thing to do is do not approach the situation. Do not, do not go up there and especially don't say, are you being human trafficked? Because what's that victim going to say? No, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not kidnapped. You know, again, they're good. You've got to think about what they're thinking of or they're so afraid um, they've been told their story by the trafficker of what to say. They're just going to give you a, just a blanket statement of, no, I'm fine. I love him. He's this, whatever. You need to leave me alone, that type of deal. Because they're thinking now self-preservation. This person's getting way too close. This person's asking way too many questions. I'm going to get beaten because this person is, is making me uncomfortable, making the trafficker uncomfortable. So the best thing to do is, this is what we tell people to do, is to take notes, <laughs> mental notes, physical notes, basically don't give them like the stink eye you know don't let them you know know that you're staring at them intently <laughs> or anything of that nature but that's you kind of become a little bit more of an investigative person a private eye if you will you're going to start looking at what are they wearing do they have any notable tattoos mm -hmm. hair color eye color skin color shoes if you see them going to a car what kind of what kind of vehicle is it can you see the license plate um use your phone for good now, this could be a little risky in some situations, so it's up to the individual, but maybe take pictures. Pretend like you're on the phone and, you know, snap a picture if you, if you can. Um, make sure the flash is off. Don't leave the flash on. Yeah. Again, not saying I've done that, but <laughs> I have done um, But yeah, so, so use your phones for good. Do stuff like that because we have had multiple cases, just at the national level, but also at the local level of people being rescued because informed citizens, you know, saw the signs, made good mental notes, and then reported it properly. So reporting, that's the biggest thing. Once you get all this information, once you have an idea, what do you do with it? Well, if you feel like that individual is just in immediate danger and you want someone to show up as quickly as possible, always call 911. Mm -hmm. And be specific when you're talking to the dispatcher, tell her or tell him, that you feel like it's a trafficking situation. Use those words specifically because that informs the, the, um, the operator who to dispatch to come because there are specific human trafficking units within law enforcement. But if you don't want to call law enforcement, if you don't feel like there's enough information or if you don't feel like they're doing anything that's going to warrant you know, an investigation or arrest, but you know something's wrong, call the National um, Human Trafficking Hotline. And so that number is 1-888-373-7888. You can also text. Um, it's the numbers that uh, correlate with Be Free. So if you text Be Free, um, whatever those numbers are for B-E-F-R-E-E, -E, 
Um, if you text them, that is the National Human Trafficking Hotline, they will get in touch with you and you can report every single thing that you've seen to them. They are the national database. Wow. And so what, what does that do? What, is that, what happens then? Well, they're going to ask you a lot of questions and you can remain anonymous. You do not have to um, state your name, but you do have to state other things about where you're at or what you've seen or whatnot. They're going to ask you a lot of questions. If you don't know, just say, I don't know, or I didn't get that information. And they're going to take everything that you gave them and they're going to turn it into what we call an informed tip. They are going to turn it over to law enforcement in your area and they're going to handle it from there. Um, they do this immediately. There's no like, you know, logging things and doing it later. They're going to send it straight to law enforcement to, to basically start looking at the situation. Now, some people say, well, that's, I mean, they're not showing up immediately to kick down the door. So what, what good does that do? Well, the thing is, you don't know what cases the law enforcement are currently working. There's been more than one situation where a person calling into the National Human Trafficking Hotline saying, hey, I saw this guy, he looks like X, Y, and Z, and he's with two girls, and they look like this, this, and this, and they're located here, here, and here. When the National Human Trafficking Hotline turns into law enforcement, they already know who this person is by the description. They're like, that's trafficker, you know, Johnny. And by that description, I know he's with Sherry and that he's with Lacey. He's not supposed to be with either one of them, or we've been looking for Lacey. Mm -hmm. And you've basically just given them that final piece of, of information that they need to actually locate these people. So never think um, that what you're giving some, you know, giving them is, is not helpful because little bitty things, little bitty things have led to massive rescues because it's just that missing piece that they need. So in 2018, 80% of all trafficking victims that were rescued in the United States, the investigation, the rescue was initiated by an informed citizen calling it in. Wow. 80% of rescues. So again, informing, educating our public, that's knocking out that second pillar that traffickers rely on, the silence of the victim mm -hmm. and the ignorance of the community. If we knock out that pillar, mm -hmm. it automatically leads to the rescue of that victim. Wow. Man, girl. All of that is so good. I'm like, <laughs> literally, I'm going to have to listen back through this podcast to take notes. Like, <laughs> wow, you are, oh, you're just doing amazing work, Ashley. And I'm just so proud of you as a friend. And um, yeah, I'm just so in awe of what God is doing through you, through this organization, um, all of the information, like obviously you've spent a lot of time studying this and you know being involved because <laughs> you had you had so many facts and so um and practical tips too that we can help with and apply in our lives and that just is so helpful and so informational so um lastly i just was wondering if there's a way that people can you know follow you or follow the red cord organization or you know find you on social media like if you guys do that if you're willing to do that it's up to you yeah absolutely so people can go to our website which is www.theredcord.org it's currently under construction right now but you can still access it um but we're trying to do uh, we're trying to revamp it it's a, it's a little bit dated as far as that's concerned but um you can go there you can sign up for our monthly newsletter which um i put out every single month the, i try and get out the first um the first day of the month so that'll be the first prompt that pops up, pops up if you go to our, our website. You can find us on Facebook. 
at the red cord. Um, we're pretty active on Facebook. We're starting to get a little bit more active on Instagram. So on Instagram, we're, we're our, um, our handle is red cord, Oklahoma. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. If you like LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is a little old, but yeah. <laughs> we, we are on that. But if people want to contact me directly, you can email me. My email is redcordvp, so like vice president, at theredcord.org. So redcordvp at theredcord.org. As far as my personal accounts go, I keep those pretty close, close to my chest because, um, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm not a very loved individual by traffickers. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And neither is anyone in our organization. So we just kind of keep that all private and, and whatnot. Yeah. But people can reach out if they send messages to our Facebook, if they send messages to our Instagram, I can see those. I'm one of the people who have access to those, but we have a good group of, of individuals who all are just as passionate as I am, who have um, just as amazing stories, backgrounds of how they got involved and why they're fighting. Um, it's a good group of people for sure. But yeah, we can, we, we can be a reach there. We also have a Google number that's on our website and wow. I don't remember the number. I've got so many numbers in my head, but you yeah. can go there as well. If you just have to talk to us immediately, <laughs> that's the number that people can reach us at as well. Wow. That's so awesome. Okay, cool. Well, once again, Ashley, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for taking time out of your day, for all of this information that you gave us and practical tips. And um, yeah, I just man, this was an awesome episode. I know it was very different for people to listen to this, but um, I think it was very helpful and informational and something that we can be a part of and change this world. So thank you once again for being on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And with this, if I can, just a quote from William Wilberforce, you know, we, I would encourage people to go and watch Amazing Grace again, if you haven't watched it, because he's such an inspiration for the anti-trafficking world. But he had an amazing quote that we use. Um, he said, basically, after you become aware of slavery, you can choose to look away, but you can never choose to say that you didn't know mm. after you've become aware of this issue. So I would definitely encourage people to pray about it. Mm. Pray and ask God what he wants you to do to get involved with this. And again, it doesn't have to be going out and training in front of people or kicking down doors. It could be just praying generally for victims or um, for the rescue of victims or for the safety of those who are fighting this. Um, it could be as, as, as simple as that, or maybe it could be, you're going to be that next person who's able to go into law enforcement or come and start doing things like myself. So um, definitely want to leave people with that on a hopeful note. This is a winnable battle because ultimately we have the best general in the universe and he is, um, his mission is the same as ours, or I should say ours is the same as his. Mm. So, um, so for sure, definitely take heart and, and know that this is something that we can, we can definitely see an end to for sure. Amen. Wow. Ended out with a bang, Ashley. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so good, man. Guys, I love this girl. This is so great. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. And um, yeah, just take that first step. Just start walking, make that difference. And uh, from there, we can change the world. So it's good.